Sunday before Easter. Of course, we know that uh, those disciples were trying to distract Jesus to some degree from his ultimate end and uh, going to the cross. Obviously, he had declared to them his his desire and his goal to reach the end, and that was to give his life a ransom for you and I. I'm thankful for that today. The blood of Jesus makes us all brothers and sisters here today, and that's why I'm here to worship him. I've got a right to praise him and lift him up today because of his blood. Amen. Somebody ought to give him praise for the blood that cleansed you and saved you. Amen. And so the Bible says that he set his face like a flint toward Jerusalem. He would not be turned. And then uh, the plans were made and uh, a young colt that would never been ridden uh, was reserved. And Jesus got up on the back of that young uh, beast of burden and made his way triumphantly into Jerusalem. And uh, it was the week of Passover and those that were gathered there for that feast, mandatory attendance required. The Bible tells us that the children and young people fill the streets and the adults as well, but the Bible tells us that the Pharisees tried to quiet the crowd and Jesus said, if these hold their peace, the rocks will immediately cry out. No rock going to take my place today. I've got praise for him this morning. He's worthy. Amen. Amen. Anybody feel like praising the Lord today? (laughs) Anybody feel like telling him thank you for doing all that you've done for me? I love you, Jesus. And then just a few days later, They would be the same crowd that cried crucifying his blood be on us, of course, whipped up by the religious leaders. It's amazing how quickly somebody can celebrate Jesus on Sunday and kill him by Thursday. In fact, I know some folks standing in front of me that kill him a lot quicker than that. It's not even service isn't even over and you're finding fault with somebody before you get out the doors. Jesus is already dead in your heart. That's the fact. I don't want to just come in here and wave my palms and praise him and then not allow him to be the Lord of my life. Amen. Somebody say amen. So with that in mind, this celebration day, next Sunday's Easter, I encourage you to bring somebody uh, with you next Sunday. It's a, it's a wonderful day to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I want to draw your attention today. It's a little odd text, but you'll understand it as we go forward. Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 6. I want to preach today with the help of the Lord from this title, A, sl- a Lamb Slain. Everybody say that. A Lamb Slain. Revelation 5, verse 6. Lord, help us today. And behold, and I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. He came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. Praise the Lord. And they, well, I'm glad those prayers are somewhere, even though you may not be. It's all right if the word quicken something in you to say, hmm, I didn't even hear a hmm. Maybe your neighbor did. Maybe it was in your head. There you go. Maybe it's just in your head. All right. Verse 9, and they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, and thou, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us. Everybody say redeemed us. 
We know who those people are. They're redeemed. You've redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. I want to be there. Amen. I want to sing that song. Thou art worthy for you were slain and has redeemed us out of every kindred, tongue, and people and nation and has made us unto our God kings and priests. I don't know what the world says we are. It doesn't bother me what others may say I am, but I am made unto my God a king and a priest. And we shall reign upon the earth. Somebody give the Lord praise today. Let's clap our hands and worship him. Lord, I praise you today. Lord, we enter to worship you, Lord. Let your word find its place. Hallelujah. Come on, worship him today. Lord, we praise you. He's a lamb slain. A lamb slain. A lamb slain. God bless you. You can be seated in the name of the Lord. Thank you for reverencing the word of God. All of those characters in the Old Testament, Genesis to Malachi, all of those Old Testament men and women, sinners, Sinners needed a Savior just as we need a Savior today. In fact, unless they received pardon for their sins, they would suffer the penalty that is attached to sin and that is death. They needed a Savior. They needed pardon. And God did not offer forgiveness to those people even on mercy alone. Mercy alone. God desired for them to be saved. He desires for us to be saved. But he does not show forgiveness on the bare grounds of mercy alone. He must be just And he must also be the justifier. No sin can enter his presence. No sinner can enter into his presence. And for God to remain just, he cannot just be like your grandpa and wink at all your failures. There is demanded justice for the sin of mankind. But God desired to show mercy. He loves mercy. Oh, praise God. I'm glad that he does. So for God to remain just and holy, he has in his mercy to devise a way by which he can both be just and at the same time be the justifier of all who sin. And God provided a substitute, and that substitute was the Lord Jesus Christ. I am thankful today that God is holy and mighty and righteous. In him there is no shadow. All is light unto him. And there is a substitute for you and I, the man, Christ Jesus. And that way of substitution was not just instituted when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Substitution was instituted way back in the Old Testament. There were appointed sacrifices. There were appointed and accepted sacrifices. Cain and Abel found this out very early in the story. And a sacrifice must be given. And when a sinner brings a sacrifice ultimately in the Old Testament to the temple, the Bible tells us they would receive remission of sins for a time. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 4 says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sin. Those animals that those sinners brought as a substitute could not take away sin. But that's not the end of the story. 
it was only a type and shadow of that one great sacrifice that would be a substitute for all men. Old Testament, New Testament. For John, in John the Baptist, in John chapter one, verse 29, the next day, John the Baptist seeth Jesus coming unto him, and he says, behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. What a fantastic statement for us today. The blood of bulls and goats and whatever you can put on the altar can never take away your sin. But nothing can wash away your sin like the blood of Jesus Christ. Come on, you've got a right to get excited in church. This doesn't have to be a boring place for you because the blood has taken away the sin that would kill you. Oh, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. A slain lamb. A slain lamb. There's no other substitute. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, the song says. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow. That makes me white as snow. Oh, no other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I'm thankful for that substitute. It was in view of that one sacrifice of the Lamb of God that God could accept. It was in view of that one sacrifice, Jesus, that God could accept all the sacrifices of the Old Testament. How could he accept the blood of bulls and goats which could not take away sin? How can God accept that? Only by seeing the ultimate sacrifice that was on its way. The blood of that bull could not take away sin. But God in his infinite wisdom says, I know there's better blood coming. No, you didn't hear me. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when they'd offer that sacrifice, Moses in the temple, when those priests and Aaron and those of the temple would offer those sacrifices, God would say, that blood's not good enough. But because of your obedience and because of you walking by faith, I'm accepting that blood, knowing that there's better blood coming. Oh yeah, oh yeah, Hebrews 9 and 15. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that are under the First Testament. Everybody say First Testament. That's that Old Testament. He's the mediator now of a new covenant, a new contract because of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. I wanna tell you, David, when he wrote, thou will not leave my soul in hell, neither suffer thine holy one to see corruption. He speaks prophetically of a lamb that was coming, that the blood of bulls and goats would never satisfy, but there is coming a sacrifice that's worthy. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left its crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. He is a lamb slain, and he is now, listen, the Bible says he is now the mediator of a new contract. This verse goes on to say he is the testator. (laughs) I like that word. Kind of got a southern ring to it. I think we call him Tater for short. I'm reminded of that little kid's movie. I think there was a Tater in the kid's movie Cars, wasn't there? Who was? Who? Mater? Tater wasn't the wrecker? Mater? All right, well, forget that then. Better research a little bit on these kids' movies. You can tell I'm not watching kids' movies. 
His name's Mater. All right, Mater stood for Tater. They couldn't spell Tater. He is the testator. Somebody say the testator. Yeah. That means, and that verse goes on to say that being the testator, that there are things that could be inherited that can only be inherited by the death of the testator. Somebody say amen. He, only, he not only bare the penalty for every sinner everywhere, but he also made it possible for the children to inherit everything that he was in possession of. Now, now that's exciting. And I'm, I'm going through um, what they call probate, and it's been a number of years. It can be a long, drawn-out affair. And uh, when my father died, when the testator in my family died, my father passed away, I inherited all of his stuff. <laughs> and a lot of people show up wanting to know how much that is, and when I started telling them, you inherit the bills also, boy, they went back home really quick. They wanted to know how many millions were laying there until I said, now wait a minute, you get the bills too. <laughs> I got everything. When he died and they certified his death and at the, at the death of the testator, there was somebody that was the executor of that will <laughs> and by a legal act, everything that was in possession of my father became mine. Jesus, the Bible says in Hebrews, was not only the mediator, but he was the testator. And at the death of the testator, praise God, everything that was his becomes the property of his children. Man, that, that ought to at least give you a reason to get a little blood pressure going this morning because everything that Jesus possessed is now in the, in the possession of his children because of the death of the testator. Rob, Robbie's sitting here today and Robbie... Robbie lost his father a number of months ago and uh, brother, brother Robbie told me Wednesday night, he said, Brother Gene, and I forget how many loads, he's taken loads out of all those barns and got stuff out and his dad kept everything, said there's stuff, you were just amazing stuff. Now, you know why there was a bunch of barns full of stuff? It's because dad wouldn't let them haul it off before he died. But dad passed away and everything that was in possession of Rob's dad now passes to the children, to the family. So they now have right, legal right to go in and clear out and somebody say, well, that's not your stuff. Oh, yes, it is. No, that was your, no, it's my stuff now. Well, I hope you understand the ramifications of this because when somebody looks at you, whether it's in school or at work, it doesn't matter where it is, and they say, I don't believe that Jesus died. Well, I'm a believer because of what I have right now. No, no, I wasn't standing there at Calvary when he died, but I know what I have now, and I'm in possession of everything that he had. I've got victory, I've got healing, I've got peace, I've got deliverance. I'm surrounded by evidence that Jesus died because I am now in possession of everything he had. Or oh, somebody clap your hands unto the Lord. I became an heir. I became an heir, a joint heir with Christ. I need to act like an heir. I need to live like an heir. I don't want to throw dispersion on the one that passed all of this to me. He bought it. I couldn't afford it. Oh, you're not hearing me. I was a pauper. I was undone. I was on my way to a devil's hell. But everything he had, he gave me. I'm thankful for his death. He is a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Somebody ought to give Jesus praise today for all that he has done for you. Oh, come on, let's worship him right now. I hurry. 
He made a way for me. I am what I am today by the blood of Jesus Christ. I have peace today, not because everything's okay, but because I'm in possession of what he purchased for me. I am now a joint heir with Christ. What he says I have, I have. It's a legal document. It's settled. The word is settled. (laughs) Old Testament sacrifices could never take away sins. So how could those Old Testament people be saved? It's only through and by the cross. Every one of those sacrifices pointed to one sacrifice. Pointed to one sacrifice and God said it's enough. Not because of the lamb. Not because of the bull. Not because of the goat. But because of the lamb that was on his way. (laughs) Oh, hallelujah. However limited the offer's comprehension might be. Bringing a bull or a lamb. They may have never seen it. Surely they did. But I'm sure it became like it is to any of us. Religious activity can become second nature. We don't think about it. And however limited those generations keep rolling on and children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren just keep repeating what they've seen their family do for years and they keep on bringing a lamb. They keep on bringing a sacrifice. Whatever was going on in their minds. Now we know by the time Jesus came, their sacrifices, even though they were still offered, they were pointless because their heart was not in it. Whatever was going on in their minds, God accepted it by virtue of one thing, the lamb slain. Every person who approached God this way was virtually, listen, those Old Testament characters were putting their faith in the one whom God would send, the Bible says, in the fullness of time. Whether they were aware of it or not, By faith, they were putting their assurance in the one who was to come. Now, isn't this even faith defined literally? Because the Bible says, now faith is the substance of what? Things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. They were not there when it happened. They were living hundreds of years before it would happen. But in the fullness of time, Christ came and saved you and I and all those who were afar off. So this is how they were saved. By putting faith in what was to Come. So how can people living today, 2,000 years after Calvary, be saved? We're saved the same way those Old Testament characters are saved. Not by bringing a bull or a goat or a lamb. Oh no, nothing can ever trump the Lamb of God. But we are saved by faith in what happened on the cross. (laughs) By depending on the Lamb of God who settled once and for all the question of all sin. (laughs) Hallelujah. Once and for all. I wasn't there when it took place. But by faith I accept what he did on that cross. What he did on that cross says I'm worth more than drugs says I'm worth. What he did on that cross says I'm worth more than alcohol says I'm worth. What he did on that cross says I'm worth more than the world says I'm worth. Come on, what he did on that cross says to you, you're worth more than whoever abused you thought you were worth. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. You're worth more. I said you're worth more. I said you're worth more. Oh, give the Lord praise together right now. Hallelujah. Oh, come on, you're worth it. 
Hebrews 7.27, who needeth not daily, not daily, as those high priests to offer up sacrifice. You don't need to offer daily those sacrifices like those priests. They would come daily first for their own sin and then for the sin of the people. For this he did once. 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 I wonder if our lives would be any different if we had been standing there just that once. I wonder if you can imagine the horror of the penalty of sin landing on one man starting from Adam all the way up to Calvary but not stopping there, going forward thousands of years, centuries until now and all the sin that would ever be committed piled up on one man at one point in history would you be affected if you could see it happen once he didn't have to do it multiple times he bore our sin once no wonder the son said I'm tired of looking at it I think I'll cover my face no wonder the rock said we're gonna shake a while it was a momentous day once the sun grew dark the rocks There was a great earthquake. That's what happened on that day once. It caused a hardened centurion who had watched hundreds of men die by his own hand. It caused that centurion to look up at that middle cross and say, surely this was the son of God. How would your life be different if you could have been standing there that once? It was such a finality. It was such a momentous occasion that it never needed to be repeated again. It was enough. When Jesus said, it is finished, It was indeed finished. Your salvation was complete. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying? Would I live for him if I had the privilege to stand there and see him as a lamb slain? When I see the consequence of sin, would I live for him from that day forward? When I see the consequence of rebellion, would I make a change in my own heart? When I see God's judgment for sin and rebellion, would I be wise enough to say, I don't want to go that way any longer. He did it once. He's not going to die again. He's not going to let any of you kill him again. He's not going to let you crucify him afresh again. He died once. Now he ever lives. Never to die again. Everybody okay? All right, I hurry to a close. I want you to look at Hebrews 9 verse 12 really quickly here. Hebrews 9 verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, how much more shall it purge your conscience from dead works? It ought to do that. And when it doesn't do that, it's not the blood's fault. No, you didn't hear me. I'm saying right now, if the blood hasn't purged your conscience from dead works, it's not the blood's fault. I'm going to have to say it. I'm going to say it. Because there are people that that may even be connected with you here that believe that the only reason they're still addicted is because Jesus hasn't taken stuff from them. 
And they tell you, I prayed, I went to the altar, I cried, but Jesus didn't take it. No, he's not gonna take it. He's done everything he can do to save you and if you're not willing to give it, he is not gonna take it. I wish somebody hear what I'm saying right now. The Bible says the blood is able to purge your conscience. It's able to make you a new creature. You're not gonna think the same. Oh, oh I know, I know. We've all got stuff we're gonna battle through and I hear it. I, well, I'm just gotta peel off all these onions because you don't know what I've been through. The Bible says he is able to purge your mind. You better hear me. He is able to purge your mind. Oh, oh, you need to hear the Holy Ghost today. You need a purging of your mind. Oh, somebody ought to praise the Lord right now. I feel the Holy Ghost in this room. I'm asking for some saints of God that are on fire. I need you to pull some weight today. Come on. There are people in this room that still battle in their mind for no reason because the blood can purge you. Well, you don't know what happened to me, no, and you don't know what happened to me either. No, you don't know. I hadn't written a book. There's things I didn't told my family that happened to me. I want to tell you something right now that God's blood is able, Jesus' blood is able to purge your mind from whatever happened to you whenever it happened. No, I am not in prison today. No, I'm not because of the blood. Come on, I don't care who abuse you. I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying I'm not concerned, but I'm telling you, Jesus is able to cleanse your mind. Oh, wash it. Come on, come on, let's, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Lord, wash us. How much more? How much more? How much more? How much more shall the blood of Jesus? I want you to turn to your neighbor right now. I want you to look him right square in the eye and I want you to say you're without excuse. I am not gonna blaspheme the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm not gonna tell God that Calvary wasn't enough for my situation. I am not gonna declare to God that the blood's not enough when the word says the blood is enough. He's able to forgive. He's able to heal. He's able to make me a new creature. He is a lamb slain. Oh, somebody ought to thank him for the blood. Somebody ought to testify for the blood. Come on, don't stop. Come on, don't stop. Let's praise him. I'm a new creature. I'm not what the devil thought I was gonna be. Woo, hallelujah. I feel victory in this house right now. Come on, I wish you'd just pray a while. I wish you'd just worship a while. He's the lamb slain. The blood's enough. The blood's enough. The blood's enough. Come on, alcohol, the blood's enough. Come on, drug addiction, the blood's enough. Come on, pornography, the blood's enough. Come on, abuse, the blood's enough. The blood's enough. That's why I got a smile on my face today. That's why I've got a leap in my feet today. That's why I've got a praise in my lips today because I'm not what I used to be. No, no, no. Woo! 
Keep on. Keep on. No, no, listen now. Keep on being a nitwit. Keep on being addicted and all you're doing is telling God the blood's not enough. Oh, it's that serious. I said it's that serious. We're not playing games. We're gonna create support systems. We're gonna help people all we can. But the fact of the matter is nobody can save you except Jesus. And if you're so bold that you're gonna tell Jesus the blood is not enough, then you got issues with God. Because when God saw that blood, he said, that's enough. How much more shall the blood of Jesus cleanse your conscience from dead works? Did you hear that word, dead works? That means you're not gonna go smoke crack anymore. He's gonna redeem you from dead works. You're not gonna go snort any cocaine anymore. You know why? Because the Lord did a work in your mind. You're clean and you wanna stay clean. Tie me to the bed if you have to. I don't care how many withdrawals I gotta go through, but I'm clean and I'm gonna stay clean. Oh, come on, clap your hands under the Lord. He cleansed my mind. Oh, reach over and connect with somebody. Pray right now, Lord. Touch my friend right now. Give them a brand new mind. Let the blood start in their head. Ha! Let it start in their mind right now. Let it start in their conscience. Let it start between their ears this morning. I'm a new creature. I'm a new creature. I'm not what I used to be. Praise God. Oh, give the Lord a good hand clap today. I hurry. I'm closing. It's 12.01. Hang on just a minute. Just, just stay with me. You can be seated or you can stand or do whatever you feel like doing. I want you to notice verse 15. And this, for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament that by means of death for the redemption and tra- of the transgressions that were under the first covenant, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Everybody say praise the Lord. Now I want them to hit that button one more time and I want you to see the word eternal in these verses, three times it's mentioned. Eternal redemption has been accomplished by the offering of Christ through the eternal spirit whereby we receive an eternal inheritance. Everybody say eternal. Everybody say eternal. Now eternity is not starting now and continuing forever. God being eternal doesn't mean he starts now and keeps on going. It means he never had a beginning Eternal means no beginning and no ending. Did you hear that? Eternal redemption. (laughs) Do you hear those words? Eternal redemption. That means that before you were ever created, before the world was ever formed, before God ever said, let there be light, there was redemption. No, you're not hearing me. You think it only happened uh, 2,000 years ago. No, uh-uh. no, it's eternal redemption. Eternal. It's always been. It's always been. If God loved mercy, Frankie, then he's always loved mercy. If he wanted to redeem, he's always wanted to redeem. He's never changing. Isn't that true? The Bible, we quote it. He's the same what? When? Forever. That's way back there and way over there. You've been redeemed forever. No, no. The magnitude of that doesn't settle in on you. 
That means that I know I came to the altar. I know I received repentance, uh, forgiveness. I know I went to the baptistry and I got baptized. But I want to tell you what I experienced. <laughs> what I experienced in that baptistry was on God's mind before the world was ever formed. Redemption. Man. <laughs> that tells me that not, I love that verse, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Listen, I want to tell you, long before you ever breathed air, God wanted to save you. <laughs> How important are you to God? Long before you ever existed, he planned for you to be saved. Eternal redemption. He offered it through the eternal spirit whereby we receive an eternal inheritance. It's not been left to mankind to assess or appraise the value of the cross. I value it by allowing it to affect my life. How do you get an appraiser to look at Calvary and say, tell me what that's worth? Only God can assess the value of the cross. And I want to tell you, God has appraised it. God has assessed the value of the cross. And in his appraisal of that sacrifice, all sinners of all time, in all places, are accepted by God on the grounds of what Jesus did once and for all time. Why would I not now come boldly? Why would I not serve him? Why? Jesus dying on the cross was not an accident. This was not the devil's plan. This was God's plan. I hurry. Hebrews 10 and 12. But this man, after he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, praise God. He sat down. You know why he sat down? Because his work was over. He sat down on the right hand of God. He is a lamb slain. The sacrifice is eternal. It reaches all the way back there to Genesis and it comes all the way to 2018 and beyond if the Lord tarries. The cross is not just an accomplished fact. It is an eternal fact eternal redemption for us don't ever forget that he obtained eternal redemption yes you can point to a date in history where it occurred but his death is not merely a historical fact revelation 13 and 8 and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world when man was created, the cost of man's redemption was already known to God. What words can ever express what a sacred mystery this is? The cross was in his heart before he ever said, let there be light. He loved us before he knew us. He loves man with an everlasting love. He suffered because his love is an eternal love. Oh, that I might be worthy to love him back. From my viewpoint, the Old Testament believers, I always think of it in terms of they look forward to the cross. And all of us New Testament believers here in 2018, we somebody accepts What's what Jesus did and repents of their sins and baptized and filled with the Spirit, we say, well, we're looking back to the cross. But that's not what the Bible says. Those Old Testament believers were not looking forward. Hebrews says it was an eternal sacrifice. Anybody hearing what I'm saying? Secular history says the cross is very old. Secular history says the cross is very old. Sacred history says 
It never changes. It doesn't age. In fact, it's just as real today as it was 40 years ago. His death is a fact as fresh today as it was centuries ago. In fact, John, who witnessed Christ's death on Calvary's hill that day, he was the only one that didn't run off and leave. He was standing there when Jesus said, Son, behold thy mother, and mother, behold thy son. He was given the care of Mary, Jesus' uh, mother. So John was standing there in that one moment, and he saw Jesus die. And they say that John wrote his book called Revelation in about 90, 92, 94, 96. The date's kind of up in the air. They're not really sure. But if the best calculations are correct, this is about 60, 50 to 60 to 70 years after John stood on Calvary's hill. 60 years later. He's, he's banished to an isle called Patmos and he sees incredible things. And in Revelation 5, verse 6, and I beheld and lo in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain. Anybody hearing what I'm saying? This is a generation plus after Calvary and John sees into heaven and he says in the midst of the throne I see a lamb as it had been slain. Now in the original the had been is not in there. In fact as it had been is not in there at all. What is in the original it says stood a lamb slain. The connotation is in the original that a lamb is standing as though it had been newly slain. He stands slain. John looked into heaven 60 years after Calvary and he sees a lamb slain. It is the eternal sacrifice that's been made for you and I. Today, those wounds are just as fresh as they were 2,000 years ago. Come on, you're not hearing me. John says, I see in the midst of the throne a lamb slain. Let me tell you, I don't care what you've done, how bad you've been, how horrible your life is. Today in heaven, there is a lamb as it had been slain. Come on, somebody clap your hands under the Lord right now. Come on. Oh, come on, somebody praise him right now. Come on, somebody love him right now. A lamb slain. Think about it when you say, I can never be forgiven for what I've done. He's a lamb slain. Eternal redemption. Today, no wonder, no wonder when all said and done and every man small and great stands before him, that lamb that's slain becomes the lion of the tribe of Judah. The Bible says it this way, how shall any of you escape if you neglect if you neglect a lamb slain, it's just as fresh today as it was 2,000 years ago. His blood has power to cleanse you right now. Right now. Oh, praise God. In that place, his, in heaven, in heaven, his death is just as fresh as it was the day he died. John said, I looked and behold a lamb slain. 
that gives me peace today. That gives me boldness today. In fact, when you read the Bible, it's amazing how terms keep repeating themselves. I'm, I'm closing. The term Lamb of God occurs in the Scripture a number of times. But in the book of Revelation, it appears more in that final book than it does in all the other 65 books of the Bible combined. John kept saying, Lamb of God. Lamb of God. Lamb of God. It got a hold of John and he just couldn't quit writing it. He's the Lamb of God. John saw Jesus and he appeared as if he had just been slain. (sighs) Yeah. I wonder if you could see him today as just being crucified. I'll never forget it. I've said it so many times. It changed my life. I, I would pray at the altar and, you know, they, I was raised in one of those Holy, Holy Ghost churches and I'm thankful for that. I want everything God promised me. I thank God for a church that was bold enough to say you need the Holy Ghost. And I'd go to the altar and pray and cry and beg. I did everything I could do. I'd give up stuff. Lord, I'll do this if you'll give me the Holy Ghost and I couldn't. Finally, on one night, one Thursday night, I decided it was time to get baptized. And I've told you before, I got in that baptistry tank, my mother and my pastor. And when he put me under that water and I started up out of that water, my eyes were closed. I st- still remember it. It's like, John, there's something you just keep repeating. When I come out of that water, my eyes were closed, but I could see the cross. And I could see him hanging there on that cross. And I was overcome. I was overwhelmed. I didn't have words to say, thank you, Jesus. What started spilling out of me was a heavenly language because of the blood of Jesus Christ. I wonder if you could see him today freshly crucified. I wonder if you could see him as a lamb slain today. Yeah. Yeah. Let let, let me say it this way. Let me say it this way. When you go home today and you go to gather your stash of whatever helps you cope, I hope you can see him as a lamb slain. Wait a minute. I'm bigger than this. I'm better than this. I'm more valuable than this. In fact, Jesus, last earthly night on this world, in the physical, he gathered with his disciples. Well, the last time he gathered with his disciples, let me rephrase that. He did live a few more days. But on this last Passover night, He instituted something. We call it communion. It was the Passover supper on that night. The breaking of bread. Remember that? There's people in this room that get kind of wiggy when we start talking about communion and because, and there's, you know, I don't think you ought to eat Twinkies and drink a Pepsi. That's not communion. But I will say this. There's a sacredness to communion. Because on that night, note the reason that Jesus said, you ought to eat this bread and you ought to drink this cup. Why? Not for your sins to be forgiven. This is not about your forgiveness. I want you to eat this bread and drink this cup for as often as you eat it and you drink it. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You make it real. It's, it's no longer history. It's present. It doesn't mean that bread is the body. It just means I'm proclaiming that his death is real today. 
I'm proclaiming that his blood is able today. I, I know I should remain calm. I'm probably going, I'm probably shortening my life when I get my blood pressure up like this. But I'll say when I think about what he's done for me, I can't keep it quiet. It's like fire burning in my soul. Jesus instituted this supper to encourage all of his children, those redeemed, those redeemed ones, to remember his death continually. Basically what he's saying is don't forget it. Don't forget my death. In heaven, John said he's a lamb slain. In earth, sometimes it's something that happened 2,000 years ago. But oh, today, if we could celebrate his death, that he died in my place, he knows the temptations and the snares that will capture us. He knows how quickly the cross can lose its freshness in your life. And he made a special provision to bring it freshly to your memory. He said when you gather together and you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you do remember my death. And when we first come to the Lord, it was the reality of his death that broke in upon us. But we gradually become careless Our vision dims, we grow accustomed to hearing the old rugged cross. And that sheer familiarity causes it to lose its impact on our hearts and on our minds. But I'm praying today, on the Sunday before Easter, that right here in Salem, somebody is going to say, he's a lamb slain today for me. As soon as anything becomes stale, it ceases to make an impact on us. But what a revelation that he is the lamb slain. Paul said it this way, shall we continue in sin? Uh Uh-oh, listen now. Shall we continue sinning because grace abounds? God forbid. Listen, if you can look at that, If Calvary can be fresh to you today and you walk out of here and say, I'm going to keep on doing what I'm doing. The judgment of God is on you. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? The judgment of God is coming on you because that price has already been paid. I want to see him as a lamb slain. Lord, shall I sin because you're full of grace? God forbid. If we are freshly looking at the face of that was marred for us, if I am freshly looking at the body that still bears the wounds in his hands and feet and side for me, I should never lose sight of what he did for me. I should never let it get stale or old or familiar. And only then, if it's real today, only then will I truly know what it means to be crucified with him. (laughs) To be crucified with him. (laughs) Did you hear me now? I know that doesn't sound popular in religious circles today because in religion now, you can believe on the Lord and keep on doing what you're doing. But this is a church that believes in a crucified life. I am crucified with him. When I see him up there, I'm with him. I died with him. Yes, I did. Oh, let's stand together. Let's love the Lord right now. Come on right now. Let's lift up our hands and say, Lord, move on me today. God, touch me today. Come on. Come on. Somebody needs to repent today. Somebody needs to say, Lord, I want that blood to cleanse me today. Lord, I don't want to keep going the way I'm going. Lord, I don't want to keep living the way I'm living today.